Be seated. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And so we come to the pivotal point in St. Paul's argument in his epistle to the Romans. We've been reading it all summer, and this incredibly difficult passage, which you read fabulously, uh, Bob, thank you, this incredibly difficult and almost turgid passage is the linchpin of much of Paul's argument about what it means to be saved and what is our hope for salvation in the future. It's, it's, a, it's as though we are talking about people on a journey who have already left Egypt and not yet arrived in the promised land. In fact, the Exodus is the background for Paul's whole epistle. And when he says, you are led by the Spirit, he's talking about the indwelling Spirit that has replaced the pillar of cloud that led the wandering underclass who were escaped Egypt as slaves, led them by day, and a pillar of fire that led them by night as they were formed into a people in the wilderness. And so Paul's writing to people who already know something of the first fruits of salvation. This lesson does not make sense, I am persuaded, unless we have already committed ourselves irrevocably to following Jesus in whatever form that takes, in whatever community of faith that takes, in whatever ways we have appropriated that language or language similar to it, we have made a commitment. We've said yes to God and begun to receive the first fruits of the promise. If we haven't, this passage won't make sense and we won't really know the promise of the perspective that it offers. It's rather like, it's rather like if you've ever tried to teach Sunday school uh, teach a Bible study to people who are not already stirred to be interested in the Bible. The Bible is dull for the most part. And yet, if someone has already been stirred by the Spirit, the Bible is a place to go for real insight and real hope and real possibility. It doesn't work unless we have first made a commitment. And so St. Paul is talking about our being led, our being led by an indwelling Spirit, and that leadership for the interim time before the world is uh, clearly a world of righteousness and justice and peace, that, that way of being led is a word to those of us who are on the journey, who are along the way, who are, if you like, in the wilderness. We have left Egypt and are being led towards something else. And that something else toward which we are being led is not back to Egypt. It's not back to slavery. Now, I have uh, recently taken a journey uh, and unavoidably find myself thinking about that journey in relation to this one that Paul is talking about. Uh, Sage and Alexander and Joanna and Ruthie and I had two weeks together uh, traveling in Europe. It was absolutely fantastic, the $10 Coca-Colas notwithstanding. <laughs> it's breathtakingly expensive. But here's the thing. We had a vision of the holiday, how it was going to be a holiday for everyone. We weren't going to be governed by a five-year-old or an 11-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 40-something or a 50-something-year-old. Uh, even though any of us might have liked it that way, we were going to make sure it was a holiday for everybody. So for the most part, we did things together. Uh, but sometimes we separated and did things individually. And, 
and came back together at, at lunch and talked about what was going on. Uh, this, we were in a sense uh, still working on a family holiday even when we were doing things separately. It was almost as though we were being led by a kind of indwelling spirit shaped by a previous vision. And, and what, what that means is, and it's a great concern to Paul, is that the spirit does not mean, and being a child of God does not mean anything goes. He's worried about morality. He doesn't mean everybody do your own thing. He doesn't mean you have no relation with anyone else. Sometimes he's thought to be talking about the flesh uh, as being worried about sexual immorality in some way, shape, or form. But what it's really about is about what happens when we start placing ourselves and our self-gratification before the pleasure of the other. Because one of the things that happened, remember, in the wilderness is the people were formed into a community. They were formed into the people of God where each mattered to the other and right relationship was held up as the sign of God's grace. And so Paul's concerned that it, for those who have tasted the first fruits of salvation, who have begun to know what it means to be freed and liberated and forgiven and healed, he's concerned that we know that doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want without some concern for the other, without some vision that holds everybody together, where, where the vision is what dominates and not one group or another group uh, seeking, seeking power. Morality means being concerned for the other. And if we do that, one of the things we will often find is that we start to fear. Uh, those of you who follow the Lambeth Conference and international Anglican fighting and so on will recognize that there's a great deal of jockeying for power and fear of what we will lose if someone else gains and people taking their toys and going home. And Paul says, no, you're not going to be led to a spirit of fear if you know that you are not just a, a tourist, not just a temporary visitor on this journey. You're a committed person on this journey, and so you are adopted. You are beloved children of God. You are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that makes all the difference. You will not be led back into slavery. You will not be led into fear, but you will hold fast the hope and the vision that makes sense of everything for everyone. The whole of creation, he says, is groaning in travail. It's like labor pains, he says. And that leads him to talk about suffering, which is an inevitable part of the journey. Now, he doesn't cover the depths of suffering in this passage. He simply gives a little perspective to it. Uh, on our holiday, anyone who's taken a travel abroad has come across what, the, what English xenophobia likes to call Spanish tummy. It's a necessary part of much travel abroad. And for the one who's uh, undergoing it, it is a form of suffering. And, and it can, suffering can in fact change the, the whole um, uh, plan of the group and shift the vision temporarily. And, it, and, it, and, and, and I'm here to tell you it does that. Uh, and yet, yet it doesn't change the fundamental vision. It doesn't change the joy of the holiday. It doesn't change, it might mean we do something this day instead of that day. It doesn't mean that we're not still heading to the promised land. It might feel as though we're in the wilderness. But suffering, 
Paul says, you need to take in perspective of the whole of what we are promised. And however bad it is, it's not as bad as the, the, that which will be revealed as the whole of creation is renewed in the service of the liberation of humanity. That's what Paul's talking about. It's an extraordinary vision, and he holds out a real and holy hope. My brothers and sisters, we have death all around us. We have death in the form of being lured towards self-gratification left, right, and center. We have death in the form of fear, which leads to grasping for power, even in the church, even in the body that is being even now redeemed. And Paul says, no, you don't have to live that way. That irrevocable commitment to following Jesus as the way of life grants you perspective, the long term. It grants you status. It says you are a beloved child of God, and no one can take that away from you. You can turn your back on it, but it's a gift beyond measure and you have no need to fear when you know you are loved. And yes, it won't be easy, this journey. There's no promise that you will avoid suffering. But when you suffer, it's part of a bigger picture. Hold fast and remember that love conquers death. Paul's argument is being encapsulated in this passage from Romans. It's not an accident that we often read it at funerals. So in a time of silence, I'd like you to take time for prayer to remember and give thanks for the fact that you are a beloved child of God, that you are led by the Spirit, and that leading makes for you as part of a community that cares for the other and not is not driven by self-gratification, and that it gives you perspective, a broad sweep, a long view, an ability not to be anxious about what you will wear or what you will eat or who's in charge or who's winning, but instead the perspective that allows you to live faithfully in love, doing what matters right now, today. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.